My mother told Please me don't. someday Please. I would buy. This is the new crazy train. Galileo with good oars and sail to distant shores. I, 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 At that point, I'm trying to get the, that's, that one stuck in your head. Uh huh. Hello, and welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter. And today we are on the final, the ultimate. The ultimate, the singular ending event. Whoa. The last chapter of Prince Caspian. Yeah. Yep. This chapter is titled, Aslan Makes a Door in the Air. I'm Peepa Keep, and I will not bear the shame of wearing an honor which is denied to the high mouse. Also known as Kristen. And this is my co-host. I'm Rapid Sheep, and I'm just really happy to have my tail back. <laughs> you were going to be Peepa Keeper. Yes, I was. <laughs> Peepa Keep. Yes. Oh. It's a hard name to say. Sorry, I stole it from you. Yeah. I wrote it down and had to read it three times before I could say it, and then I still said it wrong the second time. There, were, there weren't a lot of new characters in this chapter. Yeah. True. You could have been, like, the first Telmarine. I could have been. Um, so in this one... Aslan makes a door in the air. Aslan does. Does he close a window? Ooh. Because, like, they say when the Lord, you know, closes a door, he opens a window. Hmm. But if he opens a door, does he have to close a window? Is this, like, a transitive thing that... Or if he breaks a bridge, does he have to open a door? Ooh, okay, yeah. Or if he, or if he sends Bacchus yeah. to break a like, bridge, does like, he like, that then was Bacchus, need to open really. a door? Yeah, mm-hmm. Anyway, um... Welcome, anyway, welcome. To, the, to the ultimate chapter. Uh, we are finally done with Prince Caspian. This is. We're, we're at the end. This is the end of Prince Caspian. We're going to have a very special guest next week, but I'm sure we'll get into that later. Is it Aslan? No. But her name does start with an A, and there is a, uh, an L and an N in her name as well. Wow. So, like, she's, she's mostly Aslan. Wow. We're going to have to introduce her that way when the uh, episode starts. (laughs) And here's our special guest. Mostly Aslan. Who has an A, an L, and an N in her name. Uh (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah, we'll have fun uh, in that wrap-up episode. We're going to be discussing the movie version of this book as well. Yeah, I do believe that this will be the first time that we've actually, like, intentionally watched one of the movies. I haven't seen any of the movies since we started this podcast, so this will be... The first time that we've made a point. Like, there was just a couple of changes that went into the movie that April Lynn, our guest for next week, really wanted to bring up. So Mm -hmm. after this episode is recorded, Chris and I are going to go watch the movie and make our notes just so that we can discuss in depth some of the movie differences and changes in that episode with April Lynn next week. So something to be excited about. I have never seen uh, any of the films before. So... Any of them? You nope. haven't seen any of them? Nope. Never bothered. Really? Yeah. I feel like that... <laughs> there you go, Chris. That's our Patreon. We can review <laughs> the movies. We can do like two episodes. You promised the, the audience that there would be Patreon content yes, by we, the end of this book. 
I'll, this is the end of this book, sir. I'm absolutely down for that as long as we can do like a riff track style commentary to play along with the film that we can uh, <laughs> we can release to people. Can we do that? Um, we can try. We would have to watch the film with headphones. Yes. I'd have to find the splitter, but I think we could make that work. Anywho, uh, so we have a lot of stuff to talk about in this chapter. Like a lot of stuff gets revealed. A lot of stuff happens. Some giant gaping plot holes open up. But whoa, whoa. I'll... Well, spoilers. I know. We'll get there, though. Uh, but to start us off, do you want to do our summary? Absolutely. So when we read the book, each of us chooses five sentences throughout the chapter that we think summarize the chapter effectively in its own words. So we will begin by reading our five-sentence summaries, which is just sentences we chose from this chapter to try to summarize the plot points of this chapter. Chris, do you want to go first or shall I? Uh, I'll go ahead and go first. I got a, I got a long one, so. All right. Let's see if you can do it. We'll see. I wrote this yesterday, so I haven't memorized what I actually wrote down. I actually have to read my own writing, which is always hard. Um, so here's my, (laughs) here's my summary. Therefore, under us and the High King, you shall be King of Narnia, Lord of Caraparavel, and Emperor of the Lone Islands. Then, at Aslan's command... Peter bestowed the knighthood of the Order of the Lion on Caspian, and Caspian, as soon as he was knighted himself, bestowed it on Truffle Hunter and Trumpkin and Reapacheep, and made Dr. Cornelius his Lord Chancellor, and confirmed the Bulgy Bear in his hereditary office of Marshal of the Lists. They were told that Caspian was now king, and that Narnia would henceforth belong to the talking beasts and the dwarfs and the dryads and fawns and other creatures quite as much as to the men. And now, said Aslan, you men and women of Telmar, will you go back to that island in the world of men from which your fathers first came? And then, wonderfully and terribly, it was farewell to Aslan himself. And Peter took his place with Susan's hands on his shoulders and Edmund's on hers, and Lucy's on his, and the first of the Telmarines on Lucy's, and so on in a long line they moved forward to the door. We have two sentences in common. There we go. Um, and one of your sentences I did write mm-hmm. on my first attempt of my summary, and which got crossed off. <laughs> then I had to go to a new page and start back. my summary again. All right. Tell us what's up. All right. I'll tell you what's up. <laughs> Not for the sake of your dignity, Reepicheep, but for the love that is between you and your people, and still more for the kindness your people showed me long ago when you ate away the cords that bound me to the stone table. And it was then, though you have long forgotten it, that you began to be talking mice. You shall have your tale again. They were told that Caspian was now king and that Narnia would henceforth belong to the talking beasts and the dwarves and dryads and fawns and other creatures quite as much as to the men. Any who choose to stay under the new conditions might do so, but for those who did not like the idea, Aslan would provide another home. And then, wonderfully and terribly, it was farewell to Aslan himself, and Peter took his place with Susan's hands on his shoulders and Edmund's on hers and Lucy's on his and the first of the Telmarines on Lucy's, and so in a long line they moved forwards to the door. I've left my new torch in Narnia. 
Wow. <laughs> Your face. You're so disappointed. Because I hate that line so much. But it's the last line of the book. <laughs> it is the last line of the book, and it's a terrible one. I I'm frustrated by this chapter. I for for a number of reasons that we'll get into. I just I think of the books that we've read thus far, the ending of before, this is the weakest last chapter. Ooh, okay. In any of them. Interesting. Uh and and I'll get into why, but let's let's go through. A lot of things happen here. There are some things I liked. It's not all like negative. I feel like you skipped over entirely Repachip's mortal injuries. I did because I I, I because you Re- introduced yourself as Reepicheep. Yes, I did. However, in the grand scheme of things, like he was never important to the story. Like, yes, he's a cool character, and I like Reepicheep, and I appreciate him. He never really does anything. He shows up, and he's like a very prideful mouse, and he's a comic relief character. But I was right. Like, yes, you I were right. I was right. Yes, you remembered that way. This book went. <laughs> I w- no, I didn't remember it okay. at all. I was right that the mouth that the mice became talking mice when they released Aslan. That was entirely a baseless specula- speculation, mm-hmm. and I was right about it. I'm glad you were right. I was gonna I was gonna bring that up if you didn't, but you that's know. also why I included the sentence because I knew I wanted to discuss <laughs> it, and I didn't want to let myself have the opportunity to forget to discuss it. Yeah. Um, no, I just I just didn't think. Uh, and that's one of the things I have a problem with in this chapter. I'm sorry, Reap a Cheap fans. In the final chapter, like, I didn't think we needed to devote, like, two whole pages to the saga of Reap a Cheap being injured. Um, but le- anyway, sorry. I'm, 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 I'm getting a little testy I'm, and I need to move on. You're very testy okay. and you're hurting my feelings here. Reap a Cheap is the best character. Mm-hmm. And as someone who also, like, absolutely adored the obnoxious, pompous character of Prince Corin. Oh, and yeah. And how much oh, you yeah, adored yeah, yeah, yeah. him. Yes, love Corin. I expected you to adore Reepicheep in the same way. Because Corin has plot weight. Like, he actually moves things forward. Like, there's things revolving around him. Like, no, it- there's not. He happens to be the uh, twin brother of the main character, and without knowing it. That's it. The fact that he pushed someone down because they said something mean about Susan is not a plot point. Mm-hmm. But he is... No. Okay, no, no, no. I have to go back and correct this because he is entirely the reason that the whole Narnian party stays in Tashban the extra day. And that's the only reason that Cora is able to run into them in the first place. So They're Corrin... not staying there an extra day because they're looking for Corrin. No. I thought they were. No, they were still waiting for Susan to make a decision. It wasn't now that we found you, we can go. It was now that Susan's made a decision about not wanting to marry Rabidash. Now we have to make a plan on how to escape. All right, I've already forgotten how the book goes. Anyway, let's get into this chapter in this book that we're discussing. Um, so Aslan returns from his like wild trip across the countryside. We don't really know how long that takes. Well, um, it takes the same amount of time that it takes for them to fight their battle in the lists. And then chase away the Telmarines because the woods scared them away. Yeah. So it takes that same amount of time, basically, from breakfast until then. Mm-hmm. So um, Aslan and party come back from healing the countryside. Yeah. And everybody gathers around them, and we start this victory celebration as first and foremost. Is that the, the Telmarines are carted off. Like, they're taken off to, you know... The, the Telmarine warriors are basically imprisoned in... Yeah. Um, 
Baruna. Baruna. Yeah, which apparently they got a lot of jail space because, like, this army's got to be pretty sizable. Well, they ran off all the people of Baruna when they went through. Yeah. So they get in prison in Baruna, but they're, you know, they're treated hospitably. They get, they get beer and beef and something like that. Yeah, they get some food and some beer. Mm. Oh, I've stayed in hotels where I didn't get beer and beef. <laughs> much, much less prisons. Um, so they get in prison and then we have this scene where everybody's gathering around Aslan and the mice congregation comes in and they're carrying a letter on it is Reepicheep who is mostly dead. A little bit alive, but he's mostly dead. <laughs> this point. Thank you for laughing at that. <laughs> um, and he comes in and there's this whole sad scene of Reepicheep being mortally wounded. And Lucy which, runs to his aid with the cordial at Aslan's prompting. Which Reepicheep's just unlucky because like all the other mice are fine. Like his whole party is just fine and dandy and he's just like beaten he, half to death. He fought more nobly. Yeah, fought more nobly. And like... Lucy runs in with her cordial because she's got to heal him. And this is a fine scene. It The way the story is told is that Reba Cheap is the only creature that is injured whatsoever in this battle. <laughs> it does. It yeah. does seem that way a little yeah. bit. This is the casualty of war is the one mouse friend who didn't even get fully killed. <laughs> I, I don't feel like that's entirely accurate, but I do feel like it definitely puts into, like, this... Like, Lucy hasn't even met Reba Cheap, uh-huh. for all we know. Yeah. Like, she might have spent one evening in the camp, where mm-hmm. she was mostly outside with Bacchus and Salinas. Yes. Prior to them making the decision to send off, like, for, for this parlay. And mm-hmm. so, with that said, there is just... Like, there isn't a heart-touching moment of Lucy coming in to rescue the hero that she cares about. This is just Lucy running in to heal someone that Aslan told her to come heal. Yeah. And, yeah, like, I don't believe that he's the only person who was injured, but it definitely shows very strongly the disconnect between the high kings and queens of old and the actual conflict that just happened. Yes. Because... It makes it feel like, like you said, this is the only person who got hurt at all. This is the only casualty of this potential battle as the Telmarines fled from the trees. Yes. But we also have all of this discussion of Telmarine casualties as the mice, like, stabbed their ankles and they got hurt. Like... And finished off the ones that fell over. And finished off the ones that fell over. So there's obviously a bunch of Telmarine casualties. Uh And at the end of the day, if this is the one casualty of the Nardians which is how it's presented, mm-hmm. that's really, really, like, I don't know, it just, it just seems like such a, for a children's book, mm-hmm. it does not paint this battle in any, like, semblance of reality. Yeah. And it puts this kind of, like, complete and total routing of an enemy who has potential for redemption and is offered redemption by Aslan, the opportunity to stay in Narnia or to go back to Earth at the end of the book. Like, every single one of those people that those mice killed mm-hmm. could have been presented with that same opportunity. Like, yeah. and so you're sitting there going like, oh yeah, this one mouse died, or or almost died. Oh wait, he didn't die. Oh, oh wait, he's not even going to have any scars because Aslan's going to give him his tail back. Like, yeah. that said, like, 
the only damage that we see the Narnians receive from the Telmarines, who are literally running away from them dying. Mm-hmm. It's really a, a a horrible image to put into a children's book. Like, uh-huh. here's the Narnians chasing after the Telmarines, who are running in fear from the trees, being slaughtered mm-hmm. by mice. Being cut down as they run. And the one and only character that we see get hurt in any way is healed completely and gets everything back and is fully restored yes that was my issue with this scene yeah no i agree with you <laughs> i agree but 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 people keep and, and the other mice is love yeah which is really sweet and we'll get into that it's just like aslan didn't want to give him his tail back <sighs> he thinks he's too prideful oh yeah oh man but not for your what did he say mm-hmm. not for your dignity but not for your dignity Mm-hmm. He also says, I believe, uh... But for the love. Aslan says, I I have sometimes wondered, friend, said Aslan, whether you do not think too much about your honor. Mm. So, that's and for all we know, this is the first time that Reaper Cheeps ever talked to Aslan, and Aslan's like, yeah, sometimes I think you, <laughs> you think a little highly of yourself. And Reaper Cheeps like, bruh, what? Yeah. Oh man, no. I get that it's. I get that it's difficult in a children's story, and even in a like a adult literature, to paint battles and to paint conflict in shades of gray. Like that's more diff- much more difficult than doing archetype stories and doing oh one side is good and one side's bad. Yeah. And like we don't care about the Telmarines dying in the same way we don't care about the stormtroopers that get slaughtered. I was just in about to story. say that. Yeah. And Star Wars because it's it's very hard to tell a good story where you want your reader or your listener to side with your protagonist, but at the same time empathize with the enemy. Mm-hmm. Like that's hard to pull off. And when it's done well, it's done very well. Um, so yeah, I get it. I'm not saying it's lazy storytelling. It's, 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 it's not an easy thing to do. I get it. But at the same time, it doesn't stop me from being frustrated that it's presented that way. Which is completely valid. Yeah, yes, yes. Which is completely valid. And I agree with you. Like, I think that the level of nuance necessary for that is 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 crazy. And, like, mm-hmm. honestly, probably takes more than a book or a single story. to Like, this is, like, season arcs of television shows but like Uh i can think of individual like star trek episodes where i felt empathy for the bad guys yeah like in in i'm not gonna i'm not gonna nerd out that hard right now but like i by giving examples but i can think of individual 45 minute television shows of star trek Uh that like gave me examples of moments where i was empathetic towards the quote-unquote bad guys yeah it is much easier to write good versus evil, moral right versus moral wrong, mm-hmm. truth versus lie. Like, it is so much easier to write that way. Yeah. Because then you don't have to develop a nuance and you don't have to create any moral ambiguity and you don't have to create answers to hard questions and you don't bring up hard questions. Yeah. But yeah, like, I think that that's a really important thing to do. In a children's book, like, to show that there is a moral ambiguity here, that there is a, like, they just fought up, they just killed a bunch of Telmarines who are now no longer going to have the choice of either going away to Earth or going to stay in Narnia. Mm-hmm. And I do almost wish there was something differently 
done here because this is the first example uh, in the book so far where we have, you know, we've had three examples of this kind of major nationwide conflict. So we have the first one, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where we have the forces of the Queen versus the forces of Aslan. And the next one, uh, Horse and His Boy, we have, you know, the armies are like the one, you know, 200 horse army of Rabidash. Rabidash coming against the forces of Arkenland. This one, we have the forces of Telmar coming against, you know, the the old High King and, and Narnians. In the first two examples, like, we have uh, reasoning and we have, uh, like, kind of clear lines of why the enemy force is bad or evil or whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's like, obviously, we have the queen and, like, all the stuff she's doing and, like, her, her corrupted minions. And, you know, even with Rabidash, we paint this, uh, you know, the society that he's from as very very cruel and you know they're slave mongers and they're you know they're you know they want to take over Arkenland and they want to go in and slaughter every last man we have examples of why they're evil in this one we have uh, a situation where many hundreds of years ago yeah the Telmarines came into Narnia and took it over by force however the current occupying force of Telmarines has done nothing wrong and, and virtually none yeah. of them even believe that the yeah. old Narnia existed. Yeah, they're just there. They're in the country that they were born into. They're not actively oppressing anybody. They're just... Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're just there. Yeah. Like, they've done... They they haven't really done anything to deserve this other than... Having parents having who were bad parents people. parents who were bad people. Yeah. <laughs> uh... So I was, I was really... Which even then is explained by Aslan as them having come into Narnia because there was a famine in their land. Yeah. Like, the fact that they chose to conquer the Narnians instead of asking for Narnian help is its own issue. But, like, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I do have empathy for the Telmarines here. They don't deserve this. <laughs> um which, I mean, Aslan shows them sympathy, which is great and all. Um, the not-dead ones, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he does. <laughs> so anyway, we have this whole scene with Reaper Chief. Do we want to say anything else about that? He gets healed. He gets his tail back because of the love that his fellow mice have shown for him. Oh, it's great. Yeah, you know. Uh, apparently the tail is the pride of a mouse, though. And like, we can influence the will of Aslan. Yes. By threatening to, like, mutilate ourselves. <laughs> I don't know if that's the message we're supposed to take away from this, but don't, yeah. Don't, nope, nope. God's going to heal my grandpa, otherwise I'm going to, like, cut my hand off. Yeah. So there's that. Um, and then we anoint Caspian with the kinghood. And... He's, I mean, it's essentially a coronation. It is. And it is coronation. A quick little field coronation. And I have to ask something here. Because in this line that I included uh, in my summary, there's a line somewhere that says something like, uh, under us you'll be King Caspian. Yeah, it's, under you, us you and used the it, in, it was your first sentence in your summary, Chris. It's on your paper. Yes. Oh, yes. Therefore, under us and the High King, you shall be King of Narnia. That's, um, it's the royal we. Yes. Is, is the royal we of the us confusing you? No. It is saying, under us and the High King. So basically he's saying... Hey, you're going to be king of Narnia, still under High King Peter. Yes. But spoilers, as we know from the end of this chapter, High King Peter is never coming back. Correct. He is leaving Narnia. He will never return. Correct. So why is King Caspian still underneath him? Well, because he was the High King. 
because he's honored in the place of having been of the prophecy of the two sons of Adam and the two daughters of Eve. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, anyway, so we have the coronation. We have the knighthoods uh, bestowed. You know, we we have three bulgy bears. And only one of them gets a position, which I think is, like, cheap. And that's... I don't know. I'd be annoyed if I was the other bulgy bear. The Not one that... got order master of the list, which yeah. means that he is the master of the list, which means the other ones are probably going to be appointed as masters of the list under him. Yeah. Um, yeah, then we march out the Telmarine soldiers, and there's only one uh, line I wanted to bring up in this little vignette here. It says, uh, they're marching the Telmarines out. They made a great fuss about wading in the river, for they all hated and feared running water just as much as they hated and feared woods and animals. Mm -hmm. And we come back to this whole bridge thing where, like, is it a crime to not want to get your feet and your boots wet? Like, is that is that Apparently wrong? Apparently it is because you have to <laughs> chain the river god. Yeah. It's like, what what's wrong with that? <laughs> well, that's not what it's being presented as. Yeah. They're afraid of the river. Running water. You know, maybe they're all deeply magical creatures and, you know, they just, the, the running water just saps all of their arcane energy. Um, anyway, then we start a party. Yep. We start a party uh, with... Bacchus the, is tasked once again. The uh, Yes, the, the tree is starting a bonfire, which is horrifying. Yes. <laughs> they all gather around and tear off pieces of themselves and throw them into a pile, which the dwarves light on fire. Yep. Um, I thought that you would have a lot to say about the trees in this wrap up, because uh, well, we have we'll, this we'll, moment we'll of the there. trees. We're, I have. I have. We'll get there. We also have the trees' participation in the feast. The like, feast of the trees. Yeah. Yeah. No. I really. I really thought that you would be spending half this podcast episode on the trees. Uh, no, the trees, and are... not on how much you were upset that Reaper Cheap got healed. No, I'm not upset. <laughs> I know. I mean, yeah, sure, they could have killed him. That would have made a, a better story, but. <laughs> But the next book would suffer for it. Uh, apparently he comes back. Um, Can't tell you. Cool. Anywho. No, this is this is, this is a horrifying scene. <laughs> uh, and, like, not to get too gross here, but, like, you know, imagine you're, you're starting a party with your victorious party of, of, you know, humans that you just want to battle with. And, like, a bunch of the druids just go off and start cutting off their arms and throwing them in a big pile and light it on fire. Like, that's a... That's a heck of a scene there. Yes, but anyway. they're old branches that <laughs> yeah. they didn't need yep. anymore. Uh-huh. It's like a self-pruning. Yep, okay. I can I can light the fire of our conversation with all of my personal growth, and I don't need these things anymore. No. Oh. Uh, I was going to say, like, 100 people cutting off all their hair and fingernails then. Um, <laughs> it's a big grooming party. <laughs> big grooming party. Uh, and then we start this whole uh, enormous feast, and we have pages describing the feast because Bacchus and Salinas and the Maenads have gone around and like just magicked food out of thin air. Um, I feel like we spend more time on the trees feast than on the feast, though. Uh, we do. And, and then the moles come, and they're preparing a feast for the trees because they don't eat like normal food. Um, and there's this whole description of, <laughs> of what the trees eat because they're eating earth. Yes. And there's, uh, and they have several courses of different earths and Lewis goes into great detail about like what the types of earth are and what they taste like. 
and how they and how they appear and the trees are enjoying them. This is just more about, you know, Lewis's obsession with trees. Yes, which is great world building and great setup. Uh, and also and, Claude's Lee shovel, the mole came back. And like something to something to put like in the middle of the book when you like need filler. Like having this it be this long and involved in the last chapter was weird to me. Like I don't I don't hate it. Like, it's it's one paragraph yeah, yeah. after after this sentence, and I would like to point out the sentence right before this. Yeah. Then in great wooden cups and bowls and mazers, wreathed with ivy, came the wines. Dark, <sighs> thick ones like syrup of mulberry juice, and clear red ones like red jelly jellies liquefied, and yellow wines, and green wines. And yellow green, and greenish yellow. <laughs> different, very different. End sentence. But for the for the tree people, different fare was provided. Yeah. And it's in my in my book, it's it's about a half page long paragraph. Okay. I know that the print in your book makes it probably two pages long. Yeah. And in mine, this page is tree feast. Yes. <laughs> Entirely, because I also have artwork of uh, of the feast laid out. But no, this is actually one of the parts I liked about this chapter because I think that was fun and creative and, like, I liked what he did with it. At the cheese like, stage, they had a chalky soil. Yeah, like, that was fun world building. And It I, was fun I, world building and it also allowed him to get through the feast Yes. without having to go through the feast. Yeah. Like, it was able to be like, here's the feast, camera pan to tree service. Yes. And camera pan to Aslan, looking at the moon, and scene. Like, so yeah, I mean, like, it is a good way to pass the time mm-hmm. to just spend one one very long paragraph talking about all of the different kinds of dirt that the trees eat. Yes. Because we haven't had any discussion about the trees we haven't. eating things or consuming things or doing anything except dancing. Mm-hmm. They had a little bit of wine, you know. They had a little, a little bit. bit of wine. The hollies but, get talkative. But the hollies get very talkative <laughs> with a little bit of wine. You know, those holly girls. Oh, man. Um, I do also want to read this line because, again, want to point out positive things and things I loved about this chapter. Like, this line, I think, was my favorite one in the whole thing. The best thing of all about this feast was that there was no breaking up or going away. But as the talk grew quieter and slower, one after another would begin to nod and finally drop off to sleep with feet toward the fire and good friends on either side, till at last there was silence all around the circle and the chattering of water over stone at the ford of Baruna could be heard once more. Like, I liked that line, and, like, if that had been the last line in the book, like, would have redeemed so much for me. Like, that was fantastic. See, the line that really struck me in this discussion was, but all night, Aslan and the moon gazed upon each other with joyful and unblinking eyes. Isn't that interesting? I would have been happy with that. Yeah. That's the very next sentence after the one yeah. you said. Yeah. I would have been happy for those two to be yeah. a summary at the end of the chapter. At the end of a chapter. But we still need the kids to get back to Earth. We still need a resolution to the Telmarines. We like, we still... Like, this feast could have happened after the offer to the Telmarines or during... Like, this... Yeah. Anyway. I'll tell you what, when I when I do my rewrite of this book, I will keep that in there and I will make that the last line of the whole thing. Okay, but like, like are they are the are no. the kids gonna be there still at yeah. that point? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna chop and screw this whole thing. Just leave them like, in Narnia? No, 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 no. Like the kids are gonna go home before that line. Okay. Like this whole this, like I'm 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 messing a lot around with a lot around. Messing around a lot with uh the structure of the story in general, so. Okay. 
Anywho. Uh, so, next we have messengers sent everywhere. We've got to inform everybody that there's a new king in town and that they're not going to take any of Telmarine's crap anymore. And if anybody has an issue with that, y'all can leave, meet at this spot the next day, and we'll send you packing. Yeah, but anyone who's willing to put up with it, who's willing to to mm-hmm. abide by the new kingship and the Narnians' presence, like, yeah. it's totally welcome. It's mostly the old men who have a problem with it. Of course. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> no, you're, I know this is, like, com- complete fantasy, and this has no bearing on the real world at all. Um <laughs> God. Yeah, mostly the old men who want to leave, um, and then there's a bunch of grumbling around uh, between them. They're very suspicious because they're just like, oh, well, he's just going to kill us, which, to be fair, warranted. So anyway, um, mainly the old men that want to leave. Uh, the kids are totally fine with this, and they're just like, they're the ones that got brought up with the stories of old Narnia. So did the old men. Like, if the kids these days are being brought up with the stories, like, so did their dads and their grandfathers. Maybe. Like, it's not like suddenly, unless... Well, there was a major motion picture released. <laughs> and and unless Cornel- the Coral Cornelius conspiracy goes way deeper than we thought, and there is a concerted effort to indoctrinate the youth of the country. Oh, yeah. Obviously. <laughs> and, like, this was planned since the beginning. Um, so, the next day, everybody shows up uh, to this glade, and there is a door frame just kind of hanging out. Yep. Two posts and a lentil. Mm-hmm. And everybody's there, the new leadership, and... Just in case anyone wants to know, this door is not in the air. Yes. It's on the ground. Yeah, in a door frame. It's like where you would expect a door to be. <laughs> and like... So it's a door frame on the ground. Yes. So Aslan makes a door frame on well, the ground. Okay, okay, well... <sighs> he doesn't make a door in the air. Okay, well, we'll get... Okay, this... <laughs> Okay, no, no, no. This begs the question, and this is something we have to address from a philosophical standpoint. What is a door? Because, like, you picture a door in your head, and you, like, (laughs) when I picture a door, a door is the piece of wood that lives in a door frame that is a separate, a physical partition and a barrier between rooms or between the outside and the inside. A door is not the doorway a door is not the passage so one could say this is a misnomer and aslan does not make a door in the air he makes a doorway in the air he doesn't make a doorway in the air he makes a doorway in a field yes on the ground yes this is the whole point of my argument yeah it's like is it from a philosophical perspective a doorway is an opportunity to progress (laughs) Yes, but is is a door the barrier or is a door the passage? Does That's it matter? <laughs> There's no door. It doesn't. I, I just thought that was fun. Um, anyway, he makes a door frame on the ground, not in the air at all. Not a door. And then the chapter takes a weird left turn because we establish that the Telmarines are aliens. Well. What? Whoa, whoa. As Tristan pointed out earlier, they're terrestrials. They're not extraterrestrials. <laughs> they're extra Narnians. They're extra Narnians. They are terrestrials. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they, they're, Aslan reveals that he will take the Telmarines back to where they came from. And they say, we don't remember Telmar. And he says, I know Telmar. I will take you back to your home. Not Telmar. 
you found your way into Telbar from High King Peter's home. Mm-hmm. From his world. Yeah. And they go, oh, he means to take us out of the world. He's going to kill us all. Mm-hmm. Which I'm disappointed I didn't get there with all my stupid baseless speculation throughout the entire book. Like, tell Marines And the are... last book. And the last yeah. book, too. Like, that, that there were multiple openings into Narnia from this world. Yeah. That it, we, we've been speculating that all of the people in Narnia, all of the humans in Narnia, all came from King Helen and Queen Frank. <laughs> yeah. Those. From King Frank and Queen Helen. <laughs> yeah. And, like... There, there isn't, there's a lot of basis now for us to challenge that perspective and say, mm, no, there are, Aslan says, there are few left, but they still exist mm-hmm. of these links between the worlds. Yes. And he says that the Telmarines were pirates. Yar. Yar, who <laughs> came ashore onto an island, found their way into a cave, and six of them, six, three couples, ended up in Telmar, in Narnia. Which is still pretty problematic. Um, <laughs> which in and of itself creates so many different issues with the continuity of the timeline here because they ended up in Telmar before Diggory was born? Yes. But Narnia didn't exist because Diggory was present at the creation of Narnia. Crazy, and that. Unless Telmar is a different world entirely in a different pool and they found their way into Narnia from Telmar. But even with that said, like, when did they get here? Anyway, all, okay. So, those issues aside, the the Telmarines ended up having a famine in their land and came and conquered Narnia. Mm -hmm. And that is why their kingdom was established in Narnia. Yes. So when they came into Narnia, they held this rank in Narnia of sons of Adam and daughters of Eve Mm -hmm. without realizing that they were sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. They didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, we also have a fun line where Caspian says in response to the pirate story that he wishes that he had come from a nobler line. He would have liked to know that he came from a nobler line. Yeah. And Aslan says, you come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve, said Aslan. And that is both honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Be content. (laughs) And Caspian bowed. Yeah, that was a heavy one. That was a heavy one. That was a heavy judgment Uh statement. Everything like that was that was a big one. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so the Telmarines, pirates, they came over, three couples, apparently, or was it six? It was, six. I, I don't know, I think it was six people, but. Uh, yeah, e- either way, like, massive issues with inbreeding, like, no wonder the Telmarines are screwed up, <laughs> and the boys look like pigs, and the girls look dumpy with fat legs, like, they're all <laughs> horribly, horribly inbred. Um, yeah, they, uh. It was six Six were put to flight and fled with their women. Yeah, still so. s- still much less than a stable population. Um, I think if I remember correctly from my from my readings, and I don't ask me where I acquired this information, but I think the, uh, a stable enough, large enough population for 
uh, repopulation with humans without and biodiversity. Suffering. With by for the biodiversity is was the word I was trying to get at for humans. I think is somewhere around 150 like individuals. That's a, yeah, like that's about the smallest you could possibly go without it being a huge issue. Um, anywho, was that research done at the time? <laughs> Probably not. Uh huh. Um. That's why some of them look like they have dwarf blood. Well, this... Never mind, I was going to say something to offend the English. Um, Got to watch myself as an Irishman. Yes, yes <laughs> you do. Um, and so after lots of hemming and hawing and, like, talking back and forth, where, you know, the the former pirates, the Telmarines, think that Aslan's going to send them to their deaths. Do you mean to murder us? Yep. Uh, then we have no, to... don't say yup. I don't want you to murder us. <laughs> We have to convince the Telmarines that it's not murder, and then we have this uh, this argument about other people going through it first because to prove that it's not going to kill them. And Reepicheep and his company bravely volunteer. Reepicheep says that he will take eleven mice with him. Yep. And Is that, that symbolic? Maybe. I There's mean, twelve mice. There are twelve mice. There are twelve mice. Yeah. There you go. It's Descendants of those who cut. Is, the is, Lord Aslan from the Stone Table. Sreepa Cheap Jesus? No. No, 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 no. He's not. <laughs> well, maybe. But no, I'm saying Aslan's Jesus. Yeah. And Reepa Cheap and his 11 companions are the disciples who yep. cut him free from the Stone Table. Wow. There you go. I mean, not not them themselves. That was their great, great grand mice. Yep. But yeah, I didn't even, uh, I didn't really register that sorry so, i look at numbers a little yeah, too closely that's probably a thing um but no they they'd put them in fairs and it would just be like a terrible time so he's forbidding reap cheap to go through it's yeah like, no nope, you wouldn't survive in that world you wouldn't do well uh but we well do... and and they're they're replying to this in in response to the challenge of the town marine saying you want to kill us send one of yours through first mm-hmm. and that's what reap cheap is saying yeah i'll we'll go yeah uh, and here I do have to talk about the afterlife metaphor. Okay. Because uh, as we've talked about in several of the other books, Lewis, obviously theologian, really into theology, written a lot of books about it, uh, mainly considered to be a, a nonfiction author. And he, he throws a lot of theological symbolism into these books, but not necessarily things that he personally believes or is into. And there's been many times in the books that I've, I've brought up things that uh, he's seeming to say with Narnian theology that contradict what he'd argue in Christian theology, which is interesting. This one, I think there's a little bit of of his own beliefs bleeding through because uh, Lewis's concept of hell is a very interesting one where to him, he never presents hell as a place of damnation or punishment but as a place that was created out of mercy yeah where where people would have what they wanted to not be in the presence of god yes and that was created out of the love of god to you know if there are people that could not stand to be in god's presence there is a place free from that that they can go yes and that is very here with the telmarines going back to from whence they came like if you choose to stay in my presence and stay among the like the land of narnia cool but if you don't want to, I'm going to send you here. Mm. And 
that's I, I think that's worth diving into a little bit because like where could we go with that like is is earth a stand-in for a hell in this metaphor like is narnia heaven is you know what's I mean, I think that there is definitely an argument to be made that Narnia is heaven, but there's also an argument to be made that it's not. Mm-hmm. So I also think that there's an argument to be made that Narnia is a teaching tool and not actually real. So, I mean, there's there's arguments to be made on all sides about what Narnia actually is, what Earth actually is. But I think that there's a certain point where you're just like, Earth is where the decisions are made that mm-hmm. actually affect someone's soul and Narnia is where they get to see what those actually look like. Ooh. Okay. Where Narnia is a next to a side by side like a, a Yeah, pour it on. View it view it viewing it through the mirror, through the glass, but clearly like okay. saying, "Okay, here I Edmund is a punk and a brat and mean to his siblings and this is what it looks like in the spiritual when he does that. And this is what okay. has to be done to restore that. Okay. So go back to earth and fix your behavior. Okay, so now you're here again and you've you may have forgotten some things about Narnia that you needed. So here's the here are those things back. Don't forget about Bacchus. Don't forget about the trees. Don't forget about the river. Don't forget about healing the mice and extending grace to the Telmarines. Especially in a post-war, war, in a post-World War II environment Ooh. where these kids Ooh. are going okay, back okay, to. Okay, okay. Don't forget to extend grace to those who fought against you. Yeah, I like this. I like this a lot. I just gave myself chills. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got, I got chills too. No, I like this a lot. I'm always hesitant to adopt metaphors, like it metaphorically where we're coming at it from a place of being like, oh, Narnia is not real because I think that's lazy and I think it's dumb. Like, I I think it's important to keep Narnia as a place that exists. Mm -hmm. It's not just a state of mind. But I do like your idea here of it being a place that reflects. Yeah. And, you know, it's the other side of the pool. Yeah, exactly. One goes through. Okay. Yeah. I like that a lot. It's the upside down. <laughs> anyway, no. so we're out of time. Um, well, I got I got way more to go into. This is going to be a long one. It's the ultimate episode. It's going to be a longer one. Uh, I have more stuff I have to rant about because we get through the pirate scene and it's decided that the first ones to have to go first to prove to the Telmarines that it's not going to kill them are, in fact, the Pevensey kids. And they're the ones that are going to go because they have to get home anyway. And we also have an allusion to a scene that we didn't get to see, which could have been its own entire chapter of Aslan talking to Peter and Susan and telling them that they can't come back to Narnia. Yes. They're too old. This is the crux of my issue with this chapter because he creates a plot hole here that he doesn't need to create. And like, we don't know, we don't necessarily know why Peter and Susan are coming, are, aren't coming back, why they're too old. What I would well, assume- that's how- age works yeah chris i would assume initially that the you know it's it's an allusion to the whole oh you have to have the faith of a child thing and you know they're getting too worldly or they're getting too mature and they're they're not going to see it the right way and that whole thing where like 
you know, you have to come into it with fresh eyes, uh, which is why Uncle Andrew had such a hard time with coming to Narnia. Because, like, all he could see were ways to exploit it and ways to, you know, use it for his own gain. Mm-hmm. And this is something that happens when humans, like, grow up as it's, you know, they they lose the appreciation for it for what it is. Mm-hmm. And all of that makes complete sense. And I and that works with all the other books. It works with all the other uh, characters that have been introduced so far. Like, you can say, you can talk about King Frank and Queen Helen but they were there, little like the literal creation of the world, and they were appointed. So maybe that doesn't apply to them. Uh, and you know, and other Frank than, was very childlike. And other than them, we have nobody who really comes into Narnia except for the Pevensies. We have Uncle Andrew who has the issues. We and have the Telmarines, Dick, Diggory, and Polly, which don't have any issues. And then in the same chapter, you break the metaphor completely because the Telmarines come in to Narnia as adults. And they have no problem with it. The Telmarines, as adults, come into the world. They come in and invade Narnia. Yeah, they chase off all the critters. Like, they they forcefully take over the country. But they're fine with it. But what they're doing is doing exactly what Uncle Andrew wanted to do. Yes. And they're proving the point that the adults cause harm. Yes. And and damage. And so, like... They are proving your point 100% by having come here... Created created a home for themselves, which then had a famine uh-huh. because they over-consumed from that land, mm-hmm. and then they had to go invade another land. But when you have somebody like Peter, who's like in prophecy of Narnia, and is like, was named the High King, and successfully ruled Narnia for decades, like, you can look at that guy and be like, no, no, you're getting too old because, like, you, we can't trust you with this place. Like that. Well, I mean, they chased the white stag and found themselves back in Narnia. We don't have a full ex- explanation of the reasoning for why they left Narnia. Uh-huh. Other than time that's willed it. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just... It bothers me. Like, the whole thing bothers me. Because, like, I don't think it's consistent. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree yeah. with you about yeah. the consistency issues. All of that said, though, we also don't have the scene with Aslan talking to Peter yes. and Susan. We don't know what happens. We there. don't know what happens there. We don't know what conversation, what elements, what conditions were put on that. There is a very fascinating line that Peter says, though, that says, it's all rather different from what I thought. Yes. And it's like, huh. What yeah. did Peter find out? What does he know? What does he know? Yeah. That's for your baseless speculation. Yeah. And, and Lucy and Edmund will understand when it's their time. Yes, when it's their last time. I don't know. Anyway, I don't want to spend extra time on this because we, like, we're already running long and, like, that was, you know, a whole rant I had. Anyway, so they link up hands or shoulders. They, they basically form a conga line between dimensions. Yep. Uh, which is a fun image. <laughs> and they say To go through the doorway on the ground. Yep. They say their tearful farewells. Um, Including Neripachi. Though Edmund and Lucy are apparently coming back at some point. We'll see when that happens. They said that they think that he means for them to return. Not like that it was certain, but that there was some condition on their potential return. But, like, I think that he means that you can return kind of thing. Yeah. So there, there isn't, like, any certainty that, oh, you'll come back. But, like, oh, I think he means that you'll come back. Yeah. And then they go through and they see that it's a fun, like, multi-opening wormhole. Like, they see three paths. They see yeah. the field. They yeah. see the island, and they see 
the train station. The train station, which is dull and gray and English countryside, but still in its own way. Nice. Yeah. It's nice in its own way. Do you remember the sea? Do you remember the seagulls? (laughs) Are there trees? Uh, We don't see any in the end scene, but uh, yeah, they find themselves back on the platform exactly from where they left off. And Edmund left his new torch in Narnia. And that's how we end the book. Um. Which is how we know that Narnia is real. Yes. We have to have these moments of leaving things in Narnia. Yeah. Leaving the torch, leaving the coats. And we can go into this in baseless speculation when we get there. But I have thoughts about these things. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to do baseless speculation. You can. Like, I mean, there's nowhere else to go in the book, and the whole point was figuring out what's going to happen next. So, <laughs> Okay, I don't... but, like, what does, then what does the the flashlight represent? What does, what do the things left behind in Narnia represent? I think it's just what, a... what does the lamppost represent? Flashlight's just a flashlight, yeah. What do the, what do the robes, the, the, the cloaks represent? Is, is what it, does the flashlight represent? Is there going to be a flashlight tree? It repre- like <laughs> to some extent it represents this like this need to leave something behind this this impact that we as humans have on Narnia mm-hmm. and that there is there is something we can leave behind in Narnia yeah that may or may not change things in Narnia yeah but like yep. Susan was wearing her horn when they came back through the through the gateway through the the wardrobe mm-hmm. and it still stayed in Narnia. So things from Narnia can't come into our world unless Aslan wills the Telmarines to return. Yes. But when they were adults, 30 plus years old, coming back through into Narnia, from Narnia into our world. Yes. They returned to their younger bodies and their younger clothes as though their clothes had not been left behind, but the robes were. Yes. And in this story, they have to change back into their old clothes before going back. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's only been a week. Yeah. Not 30 plus years. So, yeah. like, it's interesting what does and doesn't come back into play when you return from Narnia. Yeah. Why could he leave a flashlight there? Mm-hmm. Why, why was there a lamppost left? Why could they leave robes there? But when <sighs> they came back the first time, they didn't leave their clothes there. Even though they left their clothes there. No. But the second time they have clothes. Sorry, maybe this is just inconsistencies I'm pointing out <sighs> at this time. But either way, at this point in the podcast, after we've discussed <laughs> the contents of the plot of the chapter, yeah. we will do our rewrites. This yes. is hashtag Narnia chopped and screwed. This is the point in which we uh, attempt to rewrite the chapter mm-hmm. using the chapter's own words against it. Uh, by the way, oh, sorry, I interrupted you. No, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, before we moved on to the next segment, I did try really hard uh, to find some information because it, uh, it mentions uh, in the chapter that the Telmarines, uh, they were pirates, they stumbled across this island that Aslan specifically mentioned hasn't been discovered yet in the world where they came from. Mm-hmm. And so I looked really hard to find islands that were discovered after like circa 1950. Yeah. In the and, South Sea. Uh, and yeah, like there are new islands. That have formed since then, but nothing with like, you know, palm trees or anything like remotely resembling an ecosystem. Okay. So maybe it's still out there. Maybe there's still an island we ain't found. Maybe it's Atlantis. <laughs> Why would they ever leave? Um. Anyway, but yeah, go go ahead. Okay. So here's my rewrite. Uh-huh. 
since you did your summary first, I'll go ahead and do my rewrite first, yeah. where we rewrite the chapter using the chapter's own words, and we do a five-sentence rewrite. Uh-huh. The earth seemed to shake a little, and every living thing in the grove became still as stone. He says, we're getting too old. Do you mean to murder us? I'm only a kid. Well, I'll take the offer. Wow. Spooky. Spooky. You and your dark stories that you tell. I also took kind of there a There was dark some story. darkness in this <laughs> chapter, like we talked about with the, de- like we talked about a lot of the darkness in this chapter, which this all kind of brought out to me was this like yeah. really dark undercurrent of this chapter. Yeah. I also went a similar direction. Okay. Slightly different. Um, so here's mine. Any who chose to stay under the new conditions might do so, but for those who did not like the idea, Aslan would provide another home. You do not belong to this world at all. They saw the man between the doorposts, then in one second he had vanished utterly. But all night, Aslan and the moon gazed upon each other with joyful and unblinking eyes. You have conquered me. Okay, I feel like I lost something. <laughs> in that. What did I miss? I was trying really hard to get somewhere that I couldn't quite get with the sentences. Like okay. I was, uh, I was turning Aslan into a darker figure that did send them to their deaths. Okay, okay. like possibly to the moon uh, as Ooh. some sort of blood sacrifice. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. I get it. Get it. Yeah, but I really wanted to throw that "you have conquered me" line in there, which was like. Cool thing for Aslan to say. Um, Anyway, so that's my rewrite. Gosh, we finished the book. I didn't have a, like, we we usually do a segment called Baseless Speculation. This is the the last chapter. So no Baseless Speculation. Finish the book, huzzah. Uh, Be sure to join us next week for a very special episode where we go on and review the entire thing and give thoughts. And I bring back my old, my old, old segment of getting a rating to the book. What? You're going to rate the book? I am going to rate it out of... You're going to rate and review? Yeah, out of five stars. And we'll uh, also talk about and rate the movie. Why the heck not? Why not? And we are going to do this with a dear friend of the podcast, April Lynn, a new guest. Um... And we, we will allow her to plug some of her own stuff that she's got going on. Mm-hmm. But I'm really excited to have uh, some some fresh voice on the podcast. It's been it's been a minute. You know what I'm excited for? What are you excited that for? That we're on the back end. Oh, yeah? We're, we're more, more than, than halfway we're, through? We're, we're on the downslope now. We are. We did it. The, the end is in sight for this uh, particular book series. We've only got a year left, Chris. Oh, man. So close. Yep. All yeah. right. Thank you so much for listening today and for joining us in this discussion of the ultimate chapter of Prince Caspian. Join us next week as we discuss the book as a whole, the movie, and our thoughts on, you know, whether or not Narnia is heaven or a hell. Um, if you want to throw in your thoughts on this in the meantime, you can do that at Chronically Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or uh, you can email us your fan art of the doorway on the ground at, at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. Um, never mock a man, save when he is stronger than you, then as you please. And if you find yourself going through a magic doorway, 
created by a magic lion. And you see a few options before you, and one of them is a tropical paradisical island, and the other one is like a dreary London subway platform. Why don't you go ahead and choose that island? That's what you want. Cheers. Cheers. It's also a word I use a lot in this podcast. No, oh, it's not. Denouement. No, Vignette. it's... <laughs> Denouement and vignette are words that you've used in this podcast like five times total. Okay. My inner desire to learn French is coming up. Why? Uh, <laughs> Pourquoi? <laughs> we'll see. I wrote this yesterday, so I haven't memorized what I actually wrote down. I actually have to read my own writing, which is always hard. Um, so here's my <laughs> here's my summary. Is but it, from a philosophical perspective, a it, doorway is an opportunity to progress. Are they following each other? Is there like a motorcycle and a plane just like doing laps? <laughs> All came from King Helen and Queen Frank. Yeah. Those. From... King Frank and Queen Helen. She's a seagull! What? Do we need every possible type of noise that can... Like, we haven't had sirens yet. No sirens. Everything else. <sighs> Do you remember the seagulls? Yeah, they were right there interrupting my podcast. <sighs> you can keep that in and put it in the bloopers.